Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Erin Mayauke, and I'm New Life's REACH director. And we're continuing in our One Thing Remains series. Last week, we completed the book of Jonah, and today we begin the book of Ruth. The first time I read Ruth, I just thought it was this sweet little love story nestled between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel. But it is so much more than that. This little gem is not just about the love between Ruth and Naomi or even Ruth and Boaz. It's about God's love for us. And in addition to being a story about love and commitment, trials and testing, and ultimately deliverance, it's about Jesus. There are elements in this story that show us glimpses of him. And as we explore Ruth in the next few weeks, you'll see these glimpses, so I don't want to give any spoilers. So today, we are going to turn to the first five verses of Ruth, which set the stage for us. And we'll explore life in Israel during that time and how really it's similar to life today. And even though so much time has passed, the same God who delivered Ruth and Naomi is the same God who delivers us. So before we turn to the book of Ruth, let's go to God in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the fact that you reveal yourself to us through your word, Lord, that we, that we catch glimpses of you and we see your character and who you are and how much you love us, Lord. And Father, I too thank you for each person that is here today, Lord. May none of us take for granted the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, that while we were all still sinners, Lord, he died on the cross for us, Lord. And so I just pray that each of us, Lord, every single one of us here, Lord, would just open our hearts right now, Lord, because you want to speak to each of us. You are speaking to each of us. Just give us the ears to hear you, Lord, and to take your words into our heart. And we just love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's get into the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles with you, Open up to chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Milan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So this kind of starts off pretty grim. And I'm not going to lie, it really doesn't get much better today. We're talking about Judges and Leviticus, so just come back next week because I promise you the story gets better and brighter. <laughs> so just hang in there with me today. But the thing is, a famine had occurred in Israel because of their disobedience and that they had slipped into rebellion. And I mentioned that the book of Ruth comes after the book of Judges. So we're going to go into the book of Judges right now so that we could see what Israel looked like during that time, because I think it'll help us to better understand what Elimelech and his family were facing. 
So let's look at Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So Israel was stuck in a constant cycle of wash, rinse, and repeat. You know, they disobeyed God, which caused them to face tough times, and so they'd cry out for help, and God would send them judges, and then they'd repent, and they'd get better for a time, and so things would be better for a time, and then they'd slip back into obedience. Wash, rinse, repeat. Now, Elimelech and his family, they lived in the promised land, Israel. And they lived in Bethlehem, which was known as the house of bread. And here's a little fun fact that Jesus, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. So I just thought that bread, bread, nobody. Okay, just me. I thought that was cool. Okay, moving on. So there was no bread in Israel because of their disobedience and that they had decided to do what was right in their own eyes, there was a famine. And instead of turning to God and trusting him through a difficult time, along with repenting, Elimelech took his family and they left the promised land and went to the forbidden land of Moab. He chose to act in doubt and disobedience, trusting in his own strength. Now the ESV version of Ruth chapter one, verse one, says that he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. A sojourn is a temporary stay. And so Elimelech may have gone to Moab with a thought like, eh, this is just temporary, you know, we'll be right back. It's just a little sin, it's a little disobedience, we'll be back. He thought the grass was greener on the other side. And as a result, he caused his entire family to be disobedient to God. They left the promised land and went back into the wilderness from which they were rescued. But are we any different? How many times has God rescued you and delivered you? And how many times, despite him doing this, have we all abandoned our own promised land 
and gone back to the very things from which God has rescued us. Just like Elimelech, we want God's blessings, but we want them on our own terms. We want the best of both worlds. We, we want to be guaranteed our spot in heaven for eternity, but we want to live our best life now and enjoy the things that this world has to offer us. But you got to know this. There is nothing, nothing that this world, that this place could offer us that is better than what God has planned for us in his promised land. And here's a bit of advice for all of us. If the grass looks greener on the other side, water your grass. Just water your grass. Don't be tempted into disobedience because if the grass looks greener on the other side, maybe it's astroturf because nothing is ever what it seems. But God knows. He knows that we are prone to wander, that we tend to compare and complain, that sometimes we doubt his plans, and sometimes we don't always trust his timing. But despite this, God still wants us. He wants us. And so that leads me to today's take-home point, which if you're new here, it's the one point that I'm emphasizing today. And our take-home point is this. God wants us to return to him. He wants us to return. Elimelech never got to return, nor did his sons. And if you're wandering in the wilderness, come back to God. Because God does give blessings, but God also gives justice. Obedience reaps rewards, but disobedience produces punishment. And in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 19 and 20, God warned of his punishment. I will break your proud spirit by making the skies as unyielding as iron and the earth as hard as bronze. All your work will be for nothing, for your land will yield no crops and your trees will bear no fruit. God warned his people. He told them what would happen, and yet they chose to disobey him. When my brothers and I were growing up, my dad had a saying, and I still use it with my sons today, and it's this, choices and consequences. You see, we're free to choose whatever we want, but we are not free from the consequences of those choices. God gives each of us the freedom to choose whether or not we're going to obey him. And those choices, for better or worse, have consequences. Israel chose to disobey God, and so there was a famine. Elimelech chose to disobey God, and instead of repenting and seeking God during a difficult time, he took his family and fled to greener pastures in a forbidden land. And those choices had dire consequences. Elimelech didn't just choose to move like 30 minutes down the road to another village. He went to get to Moab. He had to go through the desolate Jericho Pass, through the wilderness near the Dead Sea, and cross the Jordan River to get into Moab. This was a definitive departure from God's promised land. This was a definitive decision to disobey God. And interestingly enough, the name Elimelech, it means God is king. But based off of his choices, it really doesn't sound like God was his king. 
And after Elimelech led his family in disobedience into the forbidden land, he died, leaving Naomi with her two sons. And as if being in a forbidden land with a dead husband wasn't enough, her two sons went and married Moabite women, which was bad because the Israelites were commanded to not marry people in pagan lands. And then, 10 years later, Naomi's sons died. And so this left Naomi and her daughters-in-law widowed and childless. And at this time in history, that was one of the worst things that could have happened because being a widow and being, a childless, and being childless, you were the lowest class. I mean, these women were at a major disadvantage. No one would support them. They had no one. They had to rely on the kindness of strangers. And while we don't know what would have happened if Elimelech had stayed in Israel and, you know, repented and asked for God's help, we do know that his decision to disobey God put Naomi in much more difficult circumstances than she might have otherwise faced. I don't blame him for his decision. I mean, how many of us, what would we do to protect and to provide for our families? You know, I mean, we see the cause, there was a famine, so they felt that they had to get out of there. But the text never mentions that they sought God. They didn't pray about this. They just did what they thought was best. And in especially hard times, you know, it, it can be so difficult to think of future circumstances because we can only see what is happening in front of us right now. And if you're anything like me, I want results in five minutes, not five years. You know, so this is why we have to trust God with our hearts, that this is why we're supposed to lean on him, that we can't trust our own understanding. And we just have to trust where God is leading us, even if it doesn't make sense to us. Because in the Old Testament, we see what happens when people are obedient. Blessings tend to happen, and oppression and chastisement tended to happen when people disobeyed. And we also saw that God responds to people when they repent. Had Elimelech repented, they might have faced an entirely different future. So let the first five verses of Ruth serve as a cautionary tale for us that when we depart from God's plans and we do what we think is best, bad things tend to happen. But if we return to him and submit to his will, God will bless us. And that doesn't mean if you're, if you're living in God's will that, that you know, life is going to be all sunshine and lollipops, because it's not. There's going to be trouble. But at the first sign of stress, don't run for the hills. The safest place to be in times of trouble is in the Father's arms. So rest in him. Don't run from him. A couple weeks ago, in his message titled Second Chances about the book of Jonah, Pastor Chris said a lot of things that really hit home with me and were actually pretty pertinent to this message. But the one thing that really stood out to me was that the God of Israel was a God of second chances. And you'll see in the weeks ahead that Ruth and Naomi, they're gonna have to face some difficult times, all because of their family's disobedience. But even in the midst of that, God was working things for good. There are second chances waiting for both of them. And there are second chances for all of us. And I, I love what Pastor Alex said in his message last week. He said, our God goes 
to whatever lengths it takes to bring people to himself. He leaves the 99 to find the one. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that one day we could accept him as our Lord and Savior. But despite everything that he's done for us, we don't always come to God so easily. We're stubborn. And sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. We have to come to the end of ourselves before we finally choose to change. As the take-home point last week put it, God loves us where we are, but he doesn't want us to remain there. Without a doubt, God loves you. Whether you are near or far from him, he loves you and he wants you to come back. He wants you to be the person that he made you to be. But for that to happen, we've got to leave the forbidden land. We've got to let go of those sins, you know, the, the relationship that God doesn't want for us, the life decision that doesn't align with God's plans. At some point, we've all exchanged our promised land for the very things from which we've been rescued. And we've all been prodigal sons and daughters. You know, there may have been things that happened in our lives that caused us to run from him and not towards him. Could have been the loss of a loved one, a serious illness, you know, financial issues, maybe a church hurt that someone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus didn't act very Christ-like. Or there's that one sin that one sin that has a firm grip on our old nature that just does not let go of us. Pornography, gossip, anger. These things have all kept us away from God and might still be keeping us away from God. And some of us might believe the lie that we've wandered too far off and that we could never return. But that could not be further from the truth because God is waiting for you to return. But we stay in the wilderness sometimes, don't we? We stumble around and we get mad at him and we cry out that he's forgotten us and we just endure all this hurt and heartache that God never intended for us. But these are the consequences of our choices. And that whole time, God is waiting, just waiting for us to return to him. And if we approach him with repentant hearts, our loving Father welcomes us back with open arms. And I want to emphasize that because it's so important. Repentant hearts. God is loving, kind, and merciful, but he is just, and he does not tolerate sin. And to have a repentant heart means to leave what God has prohibited and return to what he has commanded. So if you show up at his door and you're holding on to some bad junk, you're going to have to leave that junk at the door because you can't bring it into his house. So some of you, you might not be prodigal children. Or once God rescued you from the wilderness, you never looked back at what you left behind. So for you, it could be hard to understand why anyone would ever leave the promised land. And just like the older son in the story of the prodigal son, we can maybe get a little peeved. When people that, you know, have turned from God and gone back to the forbidden land, when they come back, because as rule followers, 
you know, it's kind of annoying when you did everything you were supposed to and the other person didn't and they're getting the same rewards. But we can't feel that way. We can't allow ourselves to think that because for every prodigal son and daughter that we see through our Heavenly Father's love and grace, he extends that same love and grace to all of us freely. And if you're still here in the promised land, watching people who've never been in the promised land, have no desire to be in the promised land, and just want to stay in the forbidden land, then let Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 11 come to mind. And it says this, from his earliest history, Moab has lived in peace, never going into exile. He is like wine that has been allowed to settle. He has not been poured from flask to flask, and he is now fragrant and smooth. Now, what that means is that Moab had increased in their pride and arrogance in proportion to the amount of time that their nation enjoyed peace and prosperity. And in simpler terms, that just means they had their portion in this life. They had their best life now. And they eventually got what was coming to them. And so it is with our world today as we just... Gosh, as we just see everything descending into depravity and seeing people saying and doing whatever they want with seemingly no consequences, remember, choices and consequences. And while we might not see them face their consequences in this life, one day, if they don't repent and return to God, they will face the consequences for eternity. And so will all of us. Now, if you need to repent and return, remember, Elimelech never got to return. His sons never got to return. We don't know how much time we have. What are we waiting for? You might never get to return. Waiting is foolish. So if you're wandering around right now, it's time to come home. Stop playing around. Come home. The street lights are coming on. God's calling you back home. And be encouraged by this quote of Sinclair Ferguson who said, there are no coincidences with our God. He is working even when we don't understand and he can transform our greatest mistakes into the greatest of miracles. He is the faithful God and he is faithful, and even in our wandering, he is working, and he is turning our mistakes into miracles. The God of the universe loves you and wants to spend an eternity with you. How amazing is that? When you really think about that, the God who created all of this, like all of this, wants you, and that's it. He just wants you. He's not asking anything else of you except to come to him. So that leads me to today's next step, that no matter how far I may have wandered, I will return to God and rest in his love and grace this week. You know, every time I read about the Israelites, I always end up shaking my head in disbelief because over and over, God reveals himself to them and You know, over and over again, he has to rescue them, and he does all these things for them, and they forget. You know, it's that wash, rinse, repeat cycle. But I do the same thing. You do the same thing. We all do the same thing. You know, God shows himself to us 
over and over in so many different ways, and we forget. The world shows us something shiny, and we get distracted, and we forget. And so may we never forget who he is or that he rescued us. And may we all return to the God who loves us. Amen? Amen. Now, if you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're stuck in the forbidden land. And the forbidden land is all the trappings and treasures of the things in this world. It's all the things that the world tells us that we want and need. And those things, they lead us into the bondage of sin. And once you're in the bondage of sin, you can't get out of it on your own. We have to be rescued. And there is only one person who can rescue us from sin, and that person is Jesus Christ. And here at New Life, we say things are simple, but they're not easy. It's as simple as ABC. A, we have to admit that we're sinners. We're sinners. Every single one of us here are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have to admit that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior to rescue us. And B, we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And even more than that, we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came onto this earth, and that he died on the cross for our sins. And that not only that, he rose again on the third day, just as he said he would. And see, we confess. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we commit to following him by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is our Savior, he rescues us. And because we then have the Holy Spirit in us, we are able to resist those temptations that want to take us back out into the forbidden land. The steps are simple, but living them is not so easy. Because unfortunately, once we accept Jesus, we're not immediately taken up into glory. We're stuck here in this fallen and evil world. And because of that, there will be trials. There will be temptations. We will face troubles. And sometimes, we're going to find ourselves slipping back into our old sinful habits. The same things that we ask God to rescue us from, we're gonna go back to it because we're human and that's our human nature. But there is hope because if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, he will rescue us. He's just waiting for us. So we need to repent and return. So right now, I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. You can either pray it with me, or you can pray in your own words. But the, the point of it, the heart of it, is that you are asking Jesus to be your Lord, your Savior, your Master. You are asking him to rescue you. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner, Lord, and I need you to rescue me from myself I need you to rescue me from my sins, Lord. And Lord, I believe 
that Jesus Christ is your son, God. And I believe that he died on that cross for my sins, Lord. And I believe that he rose on the third day. And God, I just confess right now that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And Father, I commit to following him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I need you to continually fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, because I'm not strong enough to face these things alone. That's the reality of it, Lord. Every day I need rescued from myself. And Father, I just ask that for each person in this room right now, Lord, that you would just speak to their hearts, God. That if there's anyone out here today, Lord, who just, who feels like they're not perfect, that they're not good enough, that you could never want them, Lord, please speak to their heart and let them know that that is just a lie, Lord. And that would we all just be voices out in the wilderness, Lord, calling all your prodigal sons and daughters home because you're calling all of us to you, Lord. You're a good father, a father who loves his sons and his daughters. And so, Lord, I just pray for each and every person in this room right now, Lord. I just pray that they would draw close to you, Lord, and that if there is someone here today, Lord, who has wandered far from you, that today they would come home, that we would all just come home to you, Lord. And I lift this up in your son Jesus' name. Amen.